You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, the cool broadcasting network. Your home for smooth, light, easy, urban, contemporary, adult, jazz, soft variety, top 40 to get you through your workday. Our request lines are open at 734-763-3500. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And Gray Matters is the weekly news and media talk show. Uh, Well, uh, kind of a busy little week. Well, a busy little week, and I guess one of the famous phrases from Watergate is appropriate. All previous statements made by the Trump campaign about meeting with the Russians are inoperative. (laughs) Uh, Not that this is an an enormous scandal, but obviously... Uh, obviously, a meeting with uh, Donald Trump Jr., uh, Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort on the 9th of June explains quite a lot of stuff that we previously had some, you know, mysteries, genuine mysteries uh, were involved. But well, I think this explains some things. It does, but it also uh, certainly opens new avenues of investigation. Yeah. Um, especially connecting the financial world of Donald J. Trump, uh, his son once boasted, we have millions coming in from sure. Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now that he's in one of the guys in the room on this one, uh, he'll be questioned. He'll, he's been invited. Uh, whether or not Mueller will end up subpoenaing him uh, depends, I suppose, on his degree of participation uh, to the invites. Yeah, well, he's been invited. <clears throat> the question is, is he going to persist? Yeah. To uh, borrow a phrase from Mitch McConnell. Uh, but, I mean, the idea that this uh, Russian lawyer with very tight KGB uh, connections, uh, I guess their defense, the Trump campaign defense, is that, well, uh, we thought we might get some dirt on the Clintons, uh, but it turns out she was just wanted to argue about this Russian adoption uh, legal issue. Yeah, the so we, we walked business. away empty-handed, but in so stating it, it suggests that they were perfectly willing to talk with an operative with KGB connections to get dirt on their rival. Well, and the thing is, is that Manafort at that point was the campaign manager, so this is not a low-level meeting. This well, is yeah, very high, high-ranking. On people. the timeline, he doesn't uh, step down until uh, close to the convention. Yeah, well, he actually steps down later in the summer. Um, in fact, the only thing that I was going to bring up specifically about this uh, this breaking story that uh, seems once again to have come from within the White House. This is this is the palace intrigue that, frankly, I'm not all that interested in. Uh, but it's quite clear to me that there are people within the Trump administration, within the White House, that are fighting amongst themselves for influence. Trump is so erratic with his agenda, you you just don't know what is really going on in terms of moving forward. Um, And I would suggest that this is probably uh, connected to uh, Rents Priebus and Mike Pence. Um, I think there's some 
probably some serious underground talk in Washington going on right now about dumping Trump well, uh, by 2020. A, a story in today's times about uh, a <laughs> little fundraising activity yeah. from Mike Pence at the vice presidential uh, manor there. Right. So that's the intrigue that I'm sure is working behind the scenes. I guess this story, and I'm trying to find it myself, but... You know, it's not a major story, but it's interesting. And it does explain Donald Trump's uh, appeal to Russia specifically on the 28th of July. During the Democratic Convention to quote, Russia, are you listening? Go ahead. Go ahead and produce, you know. And this, of course, had followed the WikiLeaks dump of some sort of scurrilous gossip from within the DNC that was leaked deliberately on the eve of the beginning of the Democratic Convention involving sort of gossipy DNC stuff. But when Trump specifically appealed to Russia on the 28th and claimed that there were 33,000 missing emails and encouraged Russia to produce them, you kind of got to think that Trump knew more about this meeting than he's claiming. Now, obviously, when he says, I wasn't in attendance... Probably not. But his statement that I didn't know anything about it, that uh, seems a little fishy to me. I'm skeptical of that. But numerous statements by the president have proven to be inoperative within a couple of days. Well, within hours (laughs) sometimes. I mean, let's face it, we've talked about this before. Virtually nothing that the man says has veracity. Yeah. It's it's always couched in some sort of derogatory uh, put down sort of term anyway. And um you know this uh, thing for example where in Poland he said, well, you know, it could have been Russia, it could have been other countries. We don't really know. Nobody sure. really knows. And of course all the intelligence uh, experts uh, here in the US of A are pretty uh down on the consensus that it Russia was doing this. Uh, his continued uh, reticence to just explicitly say that uh, right up until the eve of his meeting with Putin. And then we have to take his word for it. Sure. uh, Because the only other person in the room was Rex, you know, uh, friend of Putin uh, award winner Tillerson uh, to vouch for what was said in there. You know. He just won't explicitly acknowledge that this has happened, even to the point where uh, he tweeted yesterday morning, I guess it was, that, uh, oh, yeah, the U.S. and the Russians are going to do a joint cybersecurity thing. Right. And then the next day today, uh, well, you know, uh, probably not, but, you know, whatever. Trial balloon 189 that fell to Earth. Trump is uh, famous. What a bizarre idea uh, that was in the first place. Well, I don't even know where... the collaboration would would occur. I mean, obviously, there are some issues. Uh, for instance, the Syrian uh, war. Big news there with the uh, <clears throat> so-called liberation of Mosul. Um, and by the way, well, the, well, that's in Iraq, of course. Yeah, that's in Iraq, um, but that's connected to the ISIS, the ISIS thing, thing right. and the collaboration there. Putative collaboration because I think Trump is badly misreading what Russia's interests in Syria really are. I don't I think he's completely confused by the <laughs> by the matter. 
uh, just very quickly on the liberation of Mosul, quote unquote. Mm. During the campaign, uh, one of uh, Trump's more outrageous claims was that some of America's urban uh, areas uh, resembled the war zones in Iraq and Syria. Well, no. <laughs> uh, we, we've seen what Mosul looks like. It's, it's something out of Dresden. It's something out of Berlin, World War II. We're talking about total devastation in some areas. 800,000 people uh, displaced. number of deaths are unknown. Uh, this was an epic uh, counteroffensive that lasted nine months. Uh, in a historic city with yeah. architecture and art that are now dust. Just extraordinary um, devastation, um, carnage, uh, to borrow a word that Trump used a number of times on the campaign, but in no way, shape, or form resembling anything uh, in America's urban cities. Um, the number of people that died from American airstrikes is somewhat unknown at this point. And this is what going to be the fog of war. But the rebuilding of Mosul alone is probably a, a project involving 20 or $30 billion. It's, it's extraordinary. And this is an example, by the way, of the, the sort of blindness that, that I think Americans are very guilty of that the Iraq war and the devastation and the destruction that's occurred because of our invasion of Iraq is sort of left off stage. You know, you only really hear reliable information in the, in the media now from the British uh, BBC and some of the correspondents that are publishing in foreign press. Uh, even the Americans on the ground are few and far between. And uh, this liberation of Mosul, I think, is a good thing, but it is a stark reminder of what war really is all about. And, of course, there's going to be isolated sniping and further deaths that are going to occur over the next several uh, weeks and possibly months, or maybe just weeks in this case. But it does sound like uh, ISIS... ISIL, as I prefer to call them, have been uh, basically ejected from Mosul, which of course is a city in uh, very northern Iraq, and the Kurdish forces played a big role as well. This is primarily an Iraqi military operation with some assistance from the United States. America's precise role in the airstrikes remain a little murky and unclear to me. But uh, <clears throat> the pictures from Mosul are extraordinary. And the description from some of the BBC uh, journalists that I've been listening to over the last several months really have been harrowing stuff and reminiscent of what really went, what really took place in World War II in terms of total war, total destruction of major urban areas uh, involving hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, you know, the Russians, uh, getting back to them briefly, they still celebrate VE Day, <laughs> Victory in Europe Day. They had some epic battles with the Germans that went on for months in which literally a million soldiers died. Uh, th this is 
unfortunately, what Mosul uh, is, is going to represent in terms of the history of the 21st century. And, you know, there's a, there's a fascinating article in yesterday's New York Times called Germany's New Intellectual Antihero. Really recommend uh, uh, people read this. This is about a writer, a historian named Rolf Peter Cipher Cipher Lell, I think that's how it's pronounced, who took his own life uh, last sep- September at the age of 67 for reasons that are unclear. But he's written a very interesting. Uh, his his books are now sort of big hits in Germany about the German character and the issue of guilt, responsibility uh, for uh, the Nazis, basically, the Holocaust. And one does wonder when America is going to come to terms with the past, uh, which is a phrase that's used. This German word is classic. Vergangen helped Excuse me, Vergangen Heights Bilvaltigung. One of those 29. Well, it's one of the reasons why German is specific, <laughs> is particularly good yeah. as a language of philosophy because of its degree of specificity. Yeah, I should have practiced uh, it before I came. But the, Some of those are a real mouthful. But the phrase, uh, coming to terms with the past, um, I think is something, this is a premonition of... of uh, Perhaps what what's going to take place in America over the next uh, generation, this this destruction that we've caused in the Middle East, and um, maybe the Republicans will have to come to grips uh, with that concept if they <laughs> repeal Obamacare. <laughs> well, certainly that's uh, one way in which the costs uh, would uh, significantly multiply. I mean, we are still dealing, of course, with the ongoing costs of, you know, soldiers who were injured six, seven, eight, 10, 12 years ago uh, who still require and deserve uh, good medical treatment and assistance. Um, George W. Bush's book of paintings is probably not selling well enough to uh, cover those costs. No. And let's remember that Adolf Hitler was a, a failed painter. Good at buildings, not so much at people. I, that says a lot. But I guess one of the recurring themes in Bush's paintings are the anguish, pain, and suffering of Iraqi war veterans. And, of course, uh, we heard about another uh, another tragic event in the state of New York uh, involving an Iraqi veteran and murder yeah. <laughs> and another police shooting. Yep. I'm not going to blame Donald Trump for police shootings, but I, I am going to make a note of the fact that he exploited them relentlessly last summer and that police uh, assassinations under Trump's uh, I'm going to make America safe have gone up considerably uh, since last year. I'm not a blaming Donald Trump. I'm not attributing that to Donald Trump. But I am just making the observation that demagoguery over this sort of thing, which he exploited 
uh, to great effect, in, oddly enough, in July of uh, the, the campaign season last year, really was one of those despicable aspects of his entire campaign. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect case in point where uh, calmness is required. You know, cool heads prevail. Uh, and that's true for both organizers uh, within the Black Lives Matter movement and for, you know, good, hardworking, honest police officers. Yeah. It's the cool head that, you know, hopefully prevails. Uh, ratcheting up uh, everybody's anxiety level with uh, demagoguery, it certainly doesn't make the policeman's job any easier. Well, and he's appeared before the NRA several times already this year with sort of uh, hot speeches, angry speeches. Um, how alarming to read that Congress's response to the fact that Stephen Scalise... <laughs> Some of their own members. Some of their own members who was shot at the uh, baseball practice just a couple of weeks ago are actually trying to introduce legislation to allow congressmen to carry guns on the floor. As if somehow a guy practicing at second base in a baseball <laughs> situation would have a gun that could somehow save him at that point. It's just lunacy, and it, it, it continues. It's yeah. remarkable. I mean, there's there's a, a couple of ways you could write that off into a comedy skit of trying to play a baseball game with a gun in your holster or wearing your piece into, you know, that august body uh, in which you participate as a senator or a congressman. Will the senator yield? Well, not as long as I'm holding this, I won't. <laughs> That's right. I mean, uh, there's a couple of guys there who just might uh, do that sort of thing. But, I mean, I, the, again, last week we had the shooting at the hospital. Yeah. Uh, in which case uh, assault, you know, military-style weapons are used. And, of course, uh, well— And allowing the mentally ill to have guns is, is total insanity. Right. <laughs> it's it's, it's self-insanity. And so, okay, this guy didn't appear crazy uh, when he got the gun, perhaps. Uh, but mental illness is uh, is a quicksilver thing. It nobody knows when you might succumb to uh, depression, anxiety. You know, whatever your genetic predisposition is, your psychological makeup and background. Uh, you know, you always see those interviews on the TV when the. A uh, psycho killer is revealed, and the neighbors say, gosh, he seemed like just a regular guy. So it's really hard to tell. It is. And that's why this needs to be taken seriously. And, of course, instead of talking about the Second Amendment, Republicans always want to make it a mental health issue. But their health bill certainly doesn't uh, take mental illnesses' uh, importance into any serious account. Um, you know, this doctor clearly was crazy. But I think... Anybody who feels personally compelled to collect and possess military-style assault weapons is sort of intrinsically crazy because what do you need those for? Yeah. They're not sportsmen's pieces. <clears throat> They're not for hunting ducks or, you know, deer or whatever. Uh, what are you so scared of? I mean, honestly, what are you so scared of? Well, the only advantage of congressmen sporting pistols and Colt 45s and maybe even a couple of them might even pull out my Luger. Derringer. <laughs> the old little Derringer. Drops down my sleeve into the home of my hand. It, it, like might, improve, it might improve the, the ratings of C-SPAN. <laughs> People may start to tune in to see if there's a shooting 
on the congressional floor. And Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions honor has been challenged. That's right. And of course, in the 19th century, it's pretty well known that there were a couple of congressional duels over my honor, my daughter's honor, and my dedication to slavery. <laughs> no doubt. And God knows what else, but uh, yeah, it's 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 remarkable. Uh, you know, the one good piece of news uh, from the G19 plus one summit <laughs> was the fact that the world is moving on and the Indeed. United States is isolated. So the G19 plus one. Um, and, you know, maybe that plus one might turn out to be California because the governor of California has recently announced uh, we're going to have a climate summit here and uh, take this matter seriously. Sure. I suspect there will be a high degree of international participation in that because we're also starting to see uh, a little bit of the slapback from European leaders who are like, okay, this is how Trump is going to roll. We're moving on, as you say. <clears throat> we don't need to worry about offending or upsetting the American president. Tough luck. This is what we're doing. Yeah, and you know how fascinating to see in today's uh, business section of the New York Times a sort of featured story about Ann Arbor as the spot for driverless vehicles. Oh, right. Yeah, read the research. Being a little uh, discussion about it's it's called Ann Arbor, but let's face it, folks, it's it's out on the east side of Ypsilanti. It's in the old hydromatic complex out there. Uh, but there is plenty of automotive research going on in Ann Arbor, uh, mostly on the outskirts of town. But it's it's fascinating. Just below that, they have a headlined article by Brad Plumer about electric cars. It says electric cars breakout could be near. It goes into the discussion of some of the uh, big automotive companies that are involved in improving uh, batteries, how the cost of lithium batteries have come down. Here's a fascinating thing that I got from this article. It talks about Norway, <clears throat> Scandinavian, small country, probably not at the G20. It says, as a result, plugged hybrids and fully electric cars in Norway now make up 37% of all new sales, up from 6% in 2013. Norway doesn't have a gigantic car market, but that's the right sign. This is the sign that the world is moving forward. That, And, of course, Norway, per capita, uh, because of their um, oil. Uh, North Sea oil. North Sea oil uh, is... Uh, per capita, the wealthiest country on the planet. Um, that's what the wealth can do for you. But this shows things are moving in the right direction in many, many places, and America is going to be left behind. Well, it shows what wealth can do when it's uh, directed in the proper you know, course of action. Sure. And, and let's be clear also, electric cars are not pollution-free. Um, it takes coal to produce a lot of electricity. You'd think Trump would be gung-ho about electric cars. Uh, but we're reading uh, many, many things about outrageous things that are going on uh, in this whole environment uh, energy production area 
Why on earth are utility companies going after people that are putting up solar roofs and trying to not reward them for doing, you know, the grid thing, the grid maintenance? They're trying to, they're passing laws all over the country in these <clears throat> red states uh, where many of the climate uh, denialists live. Uh, trying to reverse this policy. This is the way we want to go. And, of course, if you can plug your electric car into a renewable power source like the sun. Or wind. Or wind. Then you're going in the right direction. And when you hear Donald Trump perpetually talking about bringing back coal and doing things for coal miners... We simply know that he's um, got America on the wrong course, 100% wrong. And, you know, check out the uh, article about Ann Arbor and the M-City out there. Yeah, you know, uh, if you want to give those coal miners jobs with a real future, uh, maybe they should begin the construction and manufacture of uh, wind turbines and solar panels. You know, product's a product. Get the jobs in there to make the right product for the era in which you're working. And, of course, you can go to any decent world almanac, uh, recent world almanac, and examine the actual contraction in the jobs that created the coal jobs. This is the, the war on coal, uh, a, an epithet that... Um, Mitch McConnell used against President Obama was one of the big outrageous lies of Obama's presidency. There was no war on coal by the president. Uh, the utility companies have been moving away from coal for a variety of reasons. Now, of course, fracking has its own problems, and therein lies one of the alternatives to coal. But the fact of the matter is, Natural gas is uh, more BTU efficient than coal. And yes, America is going to have to continue to burn coal to produce electricity, particularly because of the, the needs of what we call elastic and inelastic demand. Um, you know, we've seen, for instance, out west, the weather gets so hot they can't even have planes land or take off from Phoenix, Arizona. It's been in the hundreds all the way up to Boise, Idaho. And, of course, the wildfire season is just getting started. But uh, ask those people out west <laughs> if uh, they, they wonder if climate change is occurring. Um, that increase, by the way, on the grid uh, for air conditioning, for instance... That's an example of where coal comes in handy sometimes. But when you have battery technology improving and you clearly have more jobs in renewable energy than you do in coal because the coal jobs have been declining uh, for 50 years, it's not even a decade, um, the jobs have been declining because the style of coal mining has changed on, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, coal is simply, the demand for it is declining. And I think that's good. That is 
you know, the soot alone is, is, is problematic. The jobs themselves, you know, as much as I love how green was my valley, <laughs> the famous uh, British movie, highly recommended. I think it... Uh, About Welsh coal miners. Welsh coal miners. I think it features little Roddy McDowell, yep. probably his first <laughs> appearance uh, on the big screen. It's a brilliant movie. Uh, emotional. And you get an understanding. This, of course, is more about unions <laughs> and that sort of thing. But this is dirty, dangerous work. Well, and that movie is just one of many uh, cultural you know, comments on the intense cruelty of that work. Sure. Um, so the idea that, you know, this is the best you can do is give coal mining jobs to people. That's always been the dirtiest, most dangerous, least desirable work that you never wanted your kids to do. Yeah. I mean, those movies are all about, I got to get my kid out of here. Which, of course, the movie is about. Precisely. A guy gets an education. And yeah. is able to escape the trap of poverty imposed upon him by the uh, unfair distribution of uh, the economic setup there for the coal miners. They've never wanted those jobs. Well, and the interesting thing about the movie. You need a job, but, you know. Just real quickly is that, of course, Roddy McDowell, as a, as a lad, wants to join his brothers and his dad in the in the mines. But his dad is telling him, no, lad, you're going to college. You don't want this kind of work. I've got a bad, you know, I've got a bad leg. I I, I can't breathe. You don't want this kind of work. And it, it is a brilliant movie. I highly recommend it if you ever get a chance to see it on uh, Turner Movie Classics. Um, because I think that it's uh, it's historically relevant both to the British uh, an American situation with coal. Well, and let's not forget either, uh, you want some evidence of uh, what it was like to live back in good old Blighty back in the day where everything was fueled and powered by coal. Look at China's air quality. Sure. You know, that economy has boomed uh, and largely riding on coal, and uh, the costs are immediate and severe. Well, and thousands environmentally. Of, yeah, and thousands of people, by the way, died in Great Britain uh, in the winter, I believe, of 51, 52, when the, when the word smog mm -hmm. came into existence. Smog was the combination of smoke and fog. The air in London was literally unbreathable. It was a cold winter. Well, the, it was one of those days where weather-wise, there was no front to push the air exactly. currently hanging over the city out. And so people literally asphyxiated in the still, unbreathable air of London. And how uh, encouraging to have read earlier this year that the British went a day without burning any coal. Uh, Britain, by the way, is using uh, wave power uh, in many of uh, its, its areas, particularly up in Scotland, where Donald Trump owns some golf courses. If only he would pay attention to what's actually going on in the world. But alas, he's not. And uh, I'm sure that his meeting with Putin was fascinating. Well, yeah, we didn't even really get to that. But I guess uh, I'll end with a joke here. Uh, so four liars and two translators walk into a room. Okay. Who do you believe? And the answer is, I believe that those two translators will now be closely scrutinized.
You got it. <laughs> well, uh, we are out of time down here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next. I'll get back to this article on Germany uh, in, in the future by Christopher Caldwell in, in uh, a fascinating article, uh, intellectual article that 